let's talk about something that I'm going to frame it in terms of my experience. I love how you say I'm going to frame it in a certain way. It feels like one of those Sam Harris uh, preemptive. <laughs> I'm about to say some racist ass shit. But no, no. <laughs> never, but I, I just mean the thought process. No, definitely. No, uh, I want to frame it in light of my experience of being a radio news pundit. You know, for about a year, I was on a sort of prominent news talk radio show here in Baltimore twice a week, regular contributor doing essentially punditry. And now there are certain topics that because of my reporting here in the city and in terms of our state legislature, I was more than qualified to offer any number of opinions, analyses, because I knew the players, I knew what was going on. I had a lot of sort of behind the scenes access, whatever. But there were a million and one times where we might be discussing some sort of like national issue, whether it was politics or whatever. And while, you know, we all might be perfectly smart people, none of us covers these these things, right? Like I, I, I've never been in a White House briefing. So why should I have any fucking opinion about our latest, you know, entry into Mosul? You know, like I don't know anything about any of this stuff. This is not. But uh, people were listening and relying, I mean, maybe not rely, that, that's a little self-important, but, but at least sort of uh, perhaps letting our opinions inform theirs on the basis of a presumed sort of knowledge base or authority uh, that we have as journalists, right? But the simple truth is on certain subject matters, we had exactly, you know, between the three or four of us who might have been on the air at that time, zero, zero actual subject matter competence. Uh, because that's not what we did. So we were just kind of as clever people giving our analysis from afar. But one of the things you certainly learn as a journalist is that there are a lot of smart people who give their analysis of afar, let's say um, activists of the legislature. But because they have a limited and sort of finite view of what is going on, you know, they're seeing conspiracy where like incompetence is actually more to blame just to give an example, right? But somebody listening to them might be like, oh, you're an activist on the ground, so like clearly you have some insight into this. But they didn't, you know, frankly, because they didn't necessarily have the same access to those lawmakers, for example, as activists and as citizens that I might have had as a reporter. And this raises a question of what is the appropriate role of experience, authority, competence, when we talk about broad issues and which voices we should trust in the formation, or maybe better said, the final formation of a policy or, or, or of an approach. And, you know, going back to Campaign Zero, which is something that we've talked a little bit about in past episodes, one of the prongs of their policy solutions is to establish effective civilian oversight. And I obviously this is not something you would disagree with. That is, you know, I think part and parcel of your stakeholder uh, model. But there are aspects of the way they describe it where they say establish an all-civilian oversight structure with discipline power that includes a police commission and civilian complaints office with the following powers. And the police commission should determine policy for the police department based on community input and expertise the problem is the community has expertise in navigating the community certainly and it may be what it's like to interact with police but they don't necessarily have expertise in policing and uh, as i just said this is an all civilian oversight structure 
And so what is the appropriate role? And I know we've talked a little bit about in the past, and this is, you know, before we started doing this podcast, about the fact that, or about the question of whether or not in the conversation about police reform, police should even be included. Because are they just sort of hammers who always see nails and inevitably, uh, you know, want to hammer the shit out of everything and don't know how else to sort of deal with these questions? But the other side of that is like it is the idea that a sort of all civilian oversight structure, it almost treats policing as though its only role in society is the sort of like abuse and control of minority groups. But it does actually have a law enforcement function. Uh, and again, we're not at a place socially where we're like prepared to abandon the idea that laws should be enforced or, you know, that there should be penalties for violating essentially social or civic contracts that we have with one another as a society. This sort of treats those contracts as only, only from the perspective of those who've been left out of the contractual negotiation, right? So what is the appropriate role for people who have sort of subject matter competence? Because I, you know, an example is like a lot of people talk about we need rec centers, we need rec centers. And that is informed by the fact that people are worried that their kids don't have a place to be after school where they will be safe while they still have to be at work, right? Or during times when they're not able to provide supervision, they're not otherwise in school. But if we're, you know, trying to address, say, something like graduation disparities or, you know, uh, getting people to college so that they can enter the middle class, you know, through work or upper middle class, there's no evidentiary basis to say, like, rec centers provide a real sort of broader social benefit beyond maybe, you know, during those hours keeping your kids safe you know, Head Start would be more relevant in that. It's just to say that sometimes the community expertise is kind of colloquial and common sense, but it's not necessarily informed by an actual expertise about the solution, just the experience of the oppression. So, you know, what is your thought on that relationship? The first thing I'm thinking is that 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 that's it's, it's another example of policing just bringing out something that's prevalent in society as a whole. Uh, I, I'm thinking about how this that needs science communicators and we need science communicators to step up. So if you talk about things like the, the science and the perspective of our planet and the world of the universe, like we need people like Carl Sagan and Neil deGrasse Tyson to explain those things to us uh, as a society. Like one thing that scholars and scientists uh, are lacking is is that person that can flow in between and explain the things to the public so that they know how to operate with those things. So I do think that an all civilian structure is is the proper structure. Mm. I think the police chief should be a civilian and underneath that person will be an operational sworn wing that's like the enforcement wing of policing because I do think that policing the definition of that word must change, or even if that word isn't going to be used anymore to describe that agency, that that, that concept is fundamentally wrong, that it is has to be about serving civilians, so then civilians need to be on top. So let me, uh, and sorry to sort of interrupt you, but let me ask, because there's an extent to which, right, uh, to the extent that we have a mayor, we have a civilian leader of the city who, I mean, even though in Baltimore specifically, this is structured kind of ass backwards because our police department is a state agency and the mayor has hiring and firing power over the commissioner, which gives the mayor a, certainly a fair level of sort of 
intervention ability because of that influence that she inevitably wields. But, you know, a, a police commissioner could technically tell the mayor to go fuck themselves, right? Because they don't actually have legal authority to tell them implement this policy or not. And that's just a wrinkle of Baltimore. But the mayor sort of overseeing the police commissioner and on down is the way we've currently structured this idea of like, that's the civilian oversight. They're elected by the citizens. So they supposedly have the will of the people in mind, but they are in conversation with a professional police command structure that is then in charge of running or, or implementing the concerns of the citizen in the person of the mayor. How does your model avoid the issue we've seen here in Baltimore, where the priorities of the mayor are secret aerial surveillance and uh, using geophedia to collect uh, people's social media metadata so uh, they can go get those activists? You know, how does this not end up in the same place? Like, how do we safeguard that process? The the big issue I think you're you're kind of hitting on there is we believe that a mayor represents us. Mm. But coming from this, even from a, a scientific standpoint, is that's not a large enough sample size to actually get the community's representation. I don't care how good one person is. They're not going to truly represent that community as a whole the way a board will because you're increasing your sample size and you're increasing your influences. How you avoid that, that pattern is that that pattern isn't, necessarily wrong the problem is 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 we have a political structure that has four-year goals so that doesn't translate to anything we're doing in social sciences with Mm -hmm. social sciences i mean we're in 10 20-year goal minimums before we begin to look at what we're talking about so the problem is the structure and i think we often say one of the things in Oakland that I got pushed back on is some Libby Chafe, Chafe supporters were like, hey, she's good. Just contextualize Oakland for okay, those who so, don't. Yeah, so, so Oakland, uh, a lot of citizens there have been pushing to put the model in Oakland since they have an opening for their police department and they would like to see these things grow forward. So they've been pushing for me to be involved and for the mayor to hire me and put the, put the ideas in place. And, and so when I challenge the mayor to do things like that, it sounds like... Uh, I'm pushing her Mm. but it's it's like the thing is is yeah she can be great it is not about her it's about the office of the mayor and Mm. the way it's structured to last not just with her but beyond her we can have a pre like this is one of the things we talk about with executive orders at the presidential level if you have Barack Obama in there and you think he's going to make relatively sound decisions, then you're kind of okay with him having a bunch of power. But you got to remember that's an office. That's not power you're applying to Barack Obama. Mm. So the next person that comes in, you suddenly realize, oh, I don't want Donald Trump to have the authority that Barack Obama did. So I need to get people to say, separate the system from the people you're associating with the system. So... To break out of that, we need these 20-year goals, these 30-year goals, 40-year goals, and that's why the board becomes so much more important is to focus on those ideas so so they actually do represent and have those long-term goals. It's, it's not necessarily true that an individual couldn't handle this. It's just that, that a system that enables an individual to be the one handling this is a shit system. Yeah. And I mean, certainly I know that I've heard from law enforcement professionals in the past that, 
you know, they believe something like what the FBI has, where the FBI director is appointed for 10 years at a time. And it doesn't matter if he was appointed by the last president. You can't remove him just because you feel like I want a different guy in charge, uh, which does sort of, especially on the policy side, lead to a level of stability that you you rarely get in policing. But I guess the question is, there is an extent to which the that sort of the vagaries of our politics is a reflection itself of the vagaries of the desires uh, of the population. And so... Is there a way to completely protect against that when you have a board that is still going to be made up of citizens who are sort of imperfect, finite human beings who, you know, one year might be really focused on X and the next year they might be really focused on the opposite of X because, you know, the pendulum has swung? Yeah, I think we're, we're, we're discussing two separate issues. And one is the structure of a an oversight commission or board and how that will operate mm-hmm. and who curates the information that they receive. So in the broader concept, we're trying to say who gets to influence the decision makers, who curates the data they receive. And that's the personal struggle that I keep coming up against in the model as a whole in being that does the model rely on somebody like me curating the information that a civilian board gets because that's generally the idea. The idea is to separate the running of the agency with the guidance of the agency. So the idea of the board is to only set the guidance and direction of the agency. It's up for the trained professional who is the police chief to execute that guidance in the professional scientific way that you get there. My my big problem is is I don't think that's a cop. Mm-hmm. I think that that is a business manager, uh, not business manager as a practitioner. I'm talking a scholar because what we need is we need factual information presented to the board, and as a collective, they can re- arrive at better decision-making process. And and to do that, we have colleges in there. So we have the professionals in, we get people in to explain these things, but the board stays long-term. So the guidance is long-term, but the execution principles come from the police chief who can be short-term. That police chief is directly accountable Mm -hmm. to, for being effective to that guidance, to that board. So there's a check and balance of, of operational procedure uh, juxtapose against what that operational procedure is working towards. You know, and I wonder if, and this is something we've mentioned a number of times, and, and to me, I think it's one of the more interesting aspects of your model, which is the idea that that civilian oversight board would be weighted in favor of persons from the communities that receive the most policing. And since we know in America that those are generally lower income uh, communities that have more challenges, more struggles. With the simple fact that because the board is weighted in favor of persons from who live in communities like that, and because those communities are faced themselves with long-term problems, right, that require long-term solutions, do you think that would insulate in some ways, you know, the board from also sort of constantly, you know, being on this swinging pendulum in, in much the same way our politics is? So that argument is one of, I, I think, one of those arguments that, that we would file under common sense, but doesn't actually work in reality. And so why I say that is 
we kind of think in our perspective that these people can't do it, mm. right? Like we're, we we look down upon the weakest of us thinking that they can't possibly properly have influence on this power. And I think that's what gets us there because the reality is, is that there's vastly more people that have influenced the particulars of my actions and the model that come from those environments mm. than scholars that are sitting in ivory towers. How that board is formulated came from Dwayne Davis, Shorty, the barbecue grill in front of that CVS because I couldn't think with scholars and my own mind how to elect a board yeah. that's truly representative and doesn't corrupt. And the answer came from him. Yeah. So essentially we're saying like a primary type of person we would want on this board with that algorithm would be somebody that can't process this information in our zeitgeist, in our society. Mm -hmm. But my experience is directly the opposite. And I think a lot of management consultants would also say that that's the opposite because a good management consultant goes in and talks to the person that's actually working the floor and has been there for 15 years and says, why does this company not work right? Yeah. And the person that's pressing go on the cereal making machine is the one that has a certain level of perspective that others don't. No, I mean, you know, not to like compare myself to like, you know, someone struggling in an inner city neighborhood, but yeah, I mean, I've seen that in journalism, right? Where you have an editor who hasn't been in the field in a bajillion years. Uh, sometimes it's someone who's maybe official title isn't an editor, but is kind of playing the role that day. And they're second guessing you and you're like, on the basis of what are you trying to like change this angle or, you know, because you, you don't have, you don't know anything about what is happening out there. Like when you want to know what the community thinks, you have to call me. And so on what basis are you sort of changing? And I mean, that's one of the things that I really sort of like about your model, because I, I do think persons who have to, you know, live in those communities and have to navigate that existence will understand that this isn't going to change overnight. Right. And that will perhaps insulate that board from being what our current sort of civilian oversight is, which is buddies of the mayor mm -hmm. who, uh, I mean, I've literally been told by cabinet member, uh, a cabinet member of, of our mayor here that there are members. There's uh, one in particular who gets rides from the police to every civilian oversight meeting. Right. And this is the person that we are expecting to hold officers accountable the person who like hitches a ride and like, you know, loves to be pro cop. And, you know, again, this isn't, you know, it's not like in some context where you have the racial dynamics that we have in Baltimore, where it's like an all white board overseeing, you know, an all white police force that is brutalizing a black community. Right. It's not an all white board at all. Uh, but, you know, uh, as uh, one of our activists in the w city says. Wait, wait, wait. Is it not an all-white board? If we go back to remembering that black is that which stands against? No, exactly. <laughs> Exa uh, but in terms of the way that we, conf you know, we, we, we disguise the metaphysical category in a physical description. Those are African-Americans. Exactly. Those yeah, are black that's people. Right, that's right. <laughs> no, but, but that's exactly, you know, but the way we would tend to think about it just in terms of our social construct is uh, in those terms. Yeah. Uh, and so any of these boards, elections and appointments are all for naught. That just makes it a shit show. So that, that's what we get caught up in and, and where I get into that thing of who, who curates this information 
that we think a citizen oversight board is some kind of solution, but it is not a solution at all. A citizen board that represents the actual community is an answer. You have Mm. to add that on. It's like Black Lives Matter, all lives. No, it was Black Lives Matter too. We just didn't finish it out. You know, like you cut me off. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, understand the concept. So it's the same thing as we get caught up thinking that this board oversighting here, this board doing that is different. It's not. We have to tear down that structure to build it back up to eliminate those biases because it's not just about those weakest and, and, and most oppressed controlling the police department. Part of the reason for that is because if the rich people don't like the poor people having so much influence on the police department, then maybe a good solution is to stop having them be such poor people.